there is a Dune board game. I'm not shocked. No, I think you should be shocked. No. <laughs> no, 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 no. This is not like a quick cash cow Dune board game. This came out like back in the 1980s. Like this is a role-playing strategy board game where you have to play one of the different factions and battle for control of Arrakis. Like, you, this you, is in the heyday of board game creation. The Wild I, I, West I of board game creation. I understand. Creation. You're, you're still telling me this. Like, it's shocking. It's not. Okay. So how about this, then? So, <laughs> we, we play d d they made a freaking Urkel board game. <laughs> Do the Urkel. More so, how about this? More so that this is a serious game, not just a pop culture tie-in. Like, the Urkel board game that's like, oh, they did this. This is a serious board game. Serious board game. It's a for serious, serious players. For serious nerds only. Um, and the, when they... The high sci-fi for, for those who can handle it only. Exactly. Um, I'm not going to read in the entirety of it, but the idea behind it is that players take on the role of one of the power groups in the politics of the planet Arrakis, it's split into a number of territories. Players move their units from territory to territory, and if two more players enter the same territory, a battle ensues and the contest is resolved using a hidden bidding system. So basically, it's just like fighting risk, only there's a whole separate game happening underneath the board that only the players involved know about and then determines if it wins or loses. And so back in the day, they're like, this is stupid. They put in all of these hard, uneven rules. It's, it's no good. And so... 20, 30 years later, when the new Dune gets remade, they bought the rights again, they remade this Dune board game, and they reviewed it again. Like, listen, actually, the reason why this game is so good is because of that asymmetrical design. It's the various players, they all have different strengths and weaknesses, and the world is unfairly set up in the very beginning. So if you're one of the Fremen, you don't get everything that everyone else does. You have, like, the half the resources of everyone else, and that's just how it is. And you're supposed to, then, at that point form these like social relations and enter these moral quandaries with who you like decide to ally with what i'm saying is that that board game sounds so much like dune like it's terrifying when you think of most board games are just it's it's lord of the rings but clue like what are we doing here i uh, yeah no they're like the monopolies or the monopolies that have come out and the uh the clues, the um, there's a few operations that are just literally it's the same game, but in a different way. I mean, like even there's been a few risks like there was um, a Game of Thrones risk that we played uh, mm -hmm. with a friend of the podcast, Jonathan. But again, to have a property that they didn't just take an already existing game brand, but to make a brand new thing. I think that's really, really cool in the best nerdiest way possible. And, and I, I guess we live in a, an age, uh, a golden age of board games because there are so many board games out there that are like weirdly thought out in the minute details there's i mean a, like there's a bird watching board game where like if you get the most oh pieces published in scientific journals you win the game <laughs> there's one where you just build trees like just grow trees how i met your mother made fun of this where uh lily's father was a, a board game creator and he like had some really weird ideas but like nowadays like you're like, yeah, there is probably one about something with the pancreas or there's one about like, you know, don't whiz on the electric fence or something like that. Uh, it, you know, I'm just hoping that one of the three of that us. That's actually a Ren and Stimpy reference. I'm hoping that one of the three of us has played the board game because now I really do want to talk about it more. I, I can say that for the Dune board game, it is absolutely amazing. I have played it. I and knew it, it is phenomenal. Like the the asymmetrical gameplay is 
completely unlike any other strategy game you'll ever play. If you, one of the sides is the Benny Gesserit, and at the beginning of the game, you pick a turn and you pick a winner for that turn. And if on that turn, the player you picked wins the game, then you reveal that and you say, no, you don't win the game. I win the game because I predicted that you would win. Oh, my oh God. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. I must play as the Bene Gesserit really good. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm Bene Gesserit, and that's Aaron. And that's Elizabeth. And this is JJ. And, and we're, we're married to, to the, the idea. idea. JJ, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so Hello. much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, JJ is going to be our resident Dune expert for this episode because Aaron and I are a bunch of noobs who don't know a damn thing about Spice except that it's life. And we needed someone to guide or us it's through. Girls. <laughs> we needed someone to guide us through the de- desert of Arrakis and tell us if we actually did enjoy this movie or not. Uh, but before we get into that, let's do our plug potty. Plug party. I'm going we to. We're going to cut it. Potty, yeah. <laughs> we're no. going to cut this. I'm, just, I'm the editor. I'm going to say that. But before we get into that, let's have our plug party. You can find us on Facebook at Marriage to the Idea. You can find us online at MarriedToTheIdea.Weebly.com. We have links to every one of our episodes from seasons one through five, as well as our Keep Beach City quarantined episodes. You can find us on SoundCloud and iTunes. And if you like what you hear and you want to throw some dosh our way, we recommend going to Patreon.com slash MarriedToTheIdea. And you can do as much as little as a dollar a month to get special behind-the-scene exclusive early content. And that is that. And now, without further ado, because... We only have an hour to talk about this and not three hours. Let us talk about the newest Dune. Uh, We're going to try and split this episode up into two quadrants. Uh, First being, much like the movie itself, two-parter. The first part is just going to be talking about the movie, the 2021 movie that just came out and our thoughts upon it from both newcomer perspective and a older fanix perspective. And then after our halftime, we're going to come back and talk about is this a good adaptation, actually? And did we just negate all of the good things we said about it before? Um, <laughs> so let's start over here with you, Aaron. Aaron, first time coming into Dune. Did, did I have to twist your arm to get you to watch this film? No, this was not one of those. Um, I remember uh, us watching the trailer in the movie theater for the first time and being like, huh, didn't Sting do that once? Okay. I, I think I'd heard that they were going to be uh, remaking Dune or doing another adaptation of it. Um, it felt especially in that first trailer it was like oh my god it's taking itself way too seriously but i um now on the other side of it i don't feel that way as much anymore and i think the more i saw the um the the preview it grew on me to a minuscule amount but um i was impressed with a lot of the visuals and uh i think overall it was a decent movie i actually um, <laughs> which we'll kind of maybe talk about a little bit more in the, I actually kind of knew the Dune story through an exterior source. So like when a couple of the more spoily things happen, I wasn't as surprised. I'm like, Oh, well that happened in that other way too. So, <laughs> um, it's, uh, are we wanting full reviews or no, no, no the, I just really wanted our initial impression. An initial impression. I was like, okay, it's taking itself way too seriously. It's trying to be the next avatar. Is what I initially thought. When you first saw it, all right, Um, (laughs) JJ is a fan. Which Avatar shouldn't have been the next uh, the uh, Avatar at the time either. So, Uh, JJ, I imagine that your reaction was a little bit different when you saw they're making a Dune movie. Yes, I was very excited because up until this point, when it came to adaptions for Dune, you had um, an 80s fever dream movie, which featured Sting, and you had a sci-fi miniseries that no one watched. 
Um, so, You're about to get so much flack for that from people who have. You told us that they are. There is true. There, there, there is a very, very minute subbase of people which I think love the miniseries. I haven't seen it, so I cannot speak as to its quality. But I do know that when it came to another movie coming out, which actually had a budget put forth for it and a very experienced filmmaker, I was very excited at the prospect, especially since um, I'm going to butcher his name, Vina Villeneuve. Vin- Villeneuve? Denny Villeneuve. Denny Villeneuve. Um, <laughs> big, big fan, as Denny, you can tell. Dennis Vindaloo. Go on. Because <laughs> I know how to pronounce his name. But no, he he did um, the sequel to Blade Runner, which I really, really enjoyed. And I thought was a very good sequel to the original Blade Runner movie. So when I saw someone with his level of ability when it comes to making a film, make the, when the announcement came for him to make a new one, I was... Um, ecstatic at the idea are you one of those fans like me and aaron when whenever we get fan service in a trailer we just like go <gasps> and we like scream i don't do it out loud but did internally get you did it yes internally i was extremely excited i was 100 percent fanning over it yes <laughs> yeah. uh, well like i had a point and i completely forgot it let's edit this out uh, when I first saw the trailer, I guess for me, I know that Dune is such a pivotal part of science fiction literature, um, but it is one of those gaping blind spots in my discography of things that I've read and understood. There's, I don't even know like references to Dune. All I knew was Spice and Sandworms. That was literally it. And that's because I had to draw a sandworm for a, a comic book that I illustrated many years ago in which they turned Dune into a six-hour opera. Which was funny, and I did I did enjoy that personally, uh, but I knew nothing else about it, and so I tend to be a lot more forgiving of. I think Aaron says that he hates when they take themselves too seriously in the trailer, but I know that there are films dealing with very serious, heavy topics. Ever since Lord of the Rings, I've kind of gotten softer on those kinds of movies. Like, oh, I bet that's like a really big, important thing, and that's why they're making it big and important and bombastic. So when I saw the trailer, I'm like, I know nothing about this, which means when I do see it. I'm going to have a wonderful experience because I'll get to see it firsthand without anything clouding my judgment. I personally find that most books that I don't like in the beginning unlock for me after I watch really solid adaptations. Lord of the Rings did that for me. Pride and Prejudice did that for me. And I kind of feel like Dune does it for me a little bit too. Like now that I've seen the movie, I feel like I could read the book. I feel like I could get it a lot more. I would say it would be nice just to actually read what all of these freaking names are because they half whisper every single weird word in this movie and i don't know who anybody is there's like a character that the name is never mentioned once but there it is a named character and it's on like the the top results for uh or the the top billing almost so i don't understand why i don't remember this character name being said once but i'm like i knew who it was at least or the actor it was at least well how about this um, just to give a very brief, very brief synopsis from someone who actually knows what the hell they're talking about, JJ, can you walk us through a very brief synopsis of the movie of Dune? Um, okay, yeah, that would be pretty simple. From the, the start of the movie, it's uh, it, we open up with uh, D- Dune uh, Arrakis, the, the name of the planet. Um, I did remember Arrakis. That is a really fun word to say. It is a fun word, Arrakis. and it's spelled really nice, too. Um uh, what is it? A R I K K I S. Yeah. Oh, there is a game show where you have to spell ridiculous fantasy words, and they're never spelled the way you think they are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Shout out to um actually on YouTube. Yeah. It, it's uh it's 
opening with uh, Arrakis changing hands. So like there's uh there's a ruling house called House Harkonnen, um, and then they're being ousted um, and being given a new governor, uh, which is from House Atreides, and this is from the emperor of the whole galaxy. He's like, all right, you guys did a bad job on this planet. We're putting these new guys in here. I like, um, it's, I don't know if, again, we'll get more into this in adaptation styles, but I do love that the house they're booting out is just like the ugliest, monstrously pale people I've ever seen. Like, well, no wonder they're the bad guys. What are we doing here? <laughs> it doesn't hide that at all. No, very they're, upfront. it's very obvious. <laughs> it's like House Arconan is bad because they have bad looking people. And yeah, which is something we can get into more about fantasy. Like orcs are bad because they look bad. I'm like, um, hold on. Wait. <laughs> Wormtongue is slimy because he looks slimy. Yeah. It's, oh and because no. his name is Wormtongue. Yeah, it's just an unfortunate Ooh. name. His parents did not do him any favors. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Which we can get into names and naming conventions uh, when it comes to this as well. well. But Let's talk about that because we've got Paul, our main boy, our, our little Timothy Chalamet, the boy. Uh, and he, I think he does a really good job acting. Um, and Paul is just not a name that I would associate with the year 10,000 that we're in. We're no. really far into the future at this point. And Paul, I feel like, would have phased itself out of use after, I don't know, year 5,000. Just no one does Paul anymore. You're like, Paul. Yeah, P- yeah, Paul. <laughs> Paul of the House of Trades. Ja-um. Ja-um. Lots of accent marks. Exactly. Yes, that's how I would think so, too. It's a very weird juxtaposition with Paul and Jessica, and then we go to Thufir Hawat, and, you know... Uh, exactly, and, and I'm not one to make fun of fantasy names, but I, there were many times I'm like, I can't tell if that was a person, a place, or a thing. Can we play some charades until I figure this out? <laughs> uh, all the acting in this. Uh, Aaron, who was your favorite actor in this film? Because I, I have mine. I don't know if you had one that really, really spoke to you. I, I have to go Oscar Isaacs. Yeah. He did yeah. such... I'd agree. Oh, good. I think I'd agree too. Damn it. We all have the same answer. It's <laughs> <laughs> just really, I mean, he just had the absolute bomb of performance in that movie. He just had the most beautiful body of work. My body of work is what I meant to say. Oh. <laughs> it, um, I don't know. There was, there was a level of conviction. Like, Timothy Sh- uh, Chalamet didn't do a bad job. Um, we just watched another movie that just came out uh, last night where uh, I have opinions about that I will probably share at a later date because it's still a fairly new movie, so I don't want to, like, give yeah, any spoilers. Gonna, no. I'm pretty sure JJ hasn't seen it yet, so we're, we're, we're just going to, like, hold off. But Timothy Chal- uh, Chalamet did not do a bad job, but his performance felt just a little bit more stilted. Um, than some of the other ones. Um, I felt bad for Rebecca Ferguson because it felt like um, Denny really just wanted her to cry the whole time. I know. Either like whisper or cry. She's such a strong character. Like I was really impressed with this character who's like working behind the scenes and eventually you learn that she isn't even the queen. She's just you know, a mistress, just duchess. A, a duchess. She's just, just a concubine, honestly, but she's also like this really badass fighter. But in a way, I think, I think Villeneuve was trying to suggest that most times when you make a badass female character, it's because they shed all their femininity and just become men, but with girl parts. Uh, so I think what I like about this is like, she's allowed to weep and be emotional and love her son and love her country and love th- this man uh, that she stood by for all these years. And also kick ass. You're allowed to do both things. <laughs> yeah, and that's and that's that is tough 
um, and, and coming from a male to like really be able to put that out there for female when you could just say, hey, what makes females kick ass? And it you know can be the the balance that they're able having to a personality destroy. is usually a really good point. It's a really great start. <laughs> yeah, and like. I, I, and I and I I feel that I'm not the biggest fan of Zendaya, but like it felt like they put way too much emphasis on her character, uh, Chani or Johnny or Johnny Johnny Johnny. Um, well, considering with, it's a it's a Seth Roth Final Fantasy remake situation where you don't see her for the first two hours of the film, except in just dream after dream after dream. Like no wonder she had nothing to work with. No wonder she seemed overdeveloped. There was nothing going on there. Yeah, I, I guess it's just a little bit of a spoiler, but not too much. Um, but yeah, like it, it felt like both of these characters were fairly strong, but they weren't given as much agency as they could have been. And I don't know if it's because that's the original story or if it's so much more so the direction. And JJ would be able to, I don't know, tell me if I'm wrong or right. <laughs> Without spoilering, I think it's because this is a part one of a part two film. It feels like they spent this whole time with the agency of our older characters, and now they'll have the chance to have agency with our younger, newer characters. Yeah, and um, kind of getting back to why I liked Oscar in this movie, or uh, Oscar Isaac, um, is his conviction with his character, like, like I was saying, everyone else does a good job. Like, I don't feel anyone was miscast no. um, for the most part. Like, I don't know, Stellan Skarsgård is too creepy in a way. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like, overly so. And I, I'm, not, I'm not crazy about uh, Batista in his role, but I, I think Batista's starting to wane on me a little bit. Like, I loved him as Drax, and he's trying different things, like with, like, My Spy and this. And he's he's trying other things, and I get that. Jason Momoa. Who was a beautiful welcome J- present. Jason Momoa was Jason Momoa. He's got the the problem of The Rock right now is that he's not done too many other roles besides the confident, slightly arrogant, strong man. Um, like The Rock can do other characters. He's proven that already. Jason Momoa hasn't done that yet. He's, I believe he could. I don't think he's he's had that chance yet. But Oscar Isaac, and he's uh, his name's Jefferson Minnesota, I believe. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's really, really close. That's, yeah. <laughs> Duncan Idaho. I know, I know. <laughs> um, the, the, what I, Oscar brought to that role of just showing that he is a confident leader, but someone who does have to make decisions with other people's help and does care for not only his family, but also his people and like maybe didn't ask for the job that he is doing, but is doing it with a gusto that you don't see that often. I don't mean Oscar himself, but I mean his character, but I got real Raya and the last dragon vibes off him. The dad of our main character who is, you know, doing really well with his wealthy family. And he's like, listen, we need to all come together. That's the only way we're going to figure this out. I need to work with the Fremen. I need to work with the other people uh, in fang and spine and all that stuff and then he gets <laughs> and then he gets his just desserts for trying to be a good person in this world um and again we're trying not to be spoilers so um <laughs> but yeah i um i, I and I, I i'll give it to both um of the actors and that's for that role but like oscar whenever he was interacting with timothy and then when he was acting with rebecca i felt the chemistry Whereas I didn't feel as much when it was Timothy and Jessica or Paul and, uh, sorry, Rebecca, the actress, um, 
Paul and uh, Jessica, the character, I didn't feel as much as of a mother son relationship. They're, like the first couple scenes, yeah, but once like there was a change, it never really felt the same, and it may be on purpose too. I think so with how things progress. Um, let's because it is filmmaking. Let's talk about the visuals. Uh, and JJ, since you have read the book, what do you feel about the way that they captured? Arrakis and the people and the Fremen. What do you think about that? I think they did a really, really good job. Um, if there's one thing um, that uh, Vin, you can call him DV if you DV, want. DV, thank you. <laughs> I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start doing that since even if I know how something's properly pronounced, I usually still butcher it. Um, the DV did a really good job, um, and he he is phenomenal at like just wide shot, uh, like establishing of environments and really making you feel like you're in a completely different world. And I think he did it perfectly. Like uh, honestly, that's probably the highest praise uh, out of everything I can give the film is that you really feel like you are on Dune, that you are on a completely different world and environment and not just a different planet but like in like this is a different time and like he really does a really good job of establishing that this is so far in the future that it's everything even outside of like it being an unfamiliar like landscape feels different and foreign and um it it was just you can every ounce of the visual budget i think was done quite well yeah uh, the fashion was on point, having yes. only seen the black skin-tight suits previous to this. And now that I know what the black suits actually do, then I, I don't feel quite so silly about the cod pieces anymore. At least they explained <laughs> that to me. Uh, I think JJ's got it right, because it's it's not beautiful, but it is epic. By which I mean the visuals are not traditionally what I would consider, like, there is beauty in a desert. There is gorgeous beauty in the desert, and um, in the reds and the purples of the setting sun, there's all these beautiful things you can do in the desert. But DV doesn't decide to do that. He decides to show it as inhospitable and terrifying and bleached and bone dry and all these shades of brown. Uh, and it's done really impressively, and it's done on purpose. So uh, especially when we talk about the blue eyes of the Fremen that like just pop, and it's literally yes. they pop mm-hmm. because the spice has irritated their eyes so much they now just have these bright blue eyes which is a great again all these wonderful little metaphors it's not an irritation it's that they literally have been they've inhaled enough spice that it has affected their their biology to an extent Mm -hmm. this in their bloodstream yeah um the and i and i agree the the visuals for this were stunning and a lot of like the the visual not visual graphics the the <laughs> CGI and stuff like that was done effectively. It felt like there was more practical effects than there were CG effects. But when they had to, you could tell that they spent a lot of time. Like uh, they're called ornithopters, right? Yes, the mm-hmm. dragonfly looking helicopter vehicle things. Um, they you can tell they spent a lot of time in developing how these things would work, how they would operate, you know, if something went wrong, how it would, you know, try to limp through. There were a few shots that were a little obvious that they were CGI and it's, it's tough when you're literally trying to create a new world. Um, but it, it, it wasn't as well integrated and it was some of the more action shots. Yeah. With, when they had to move fast, you could just see that motion blur wasn't exactly true. right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I feel bad for motion video artists, to be honest, because we only notice it when it's bad. We have nothing to say when it looks good. Well, and that's, that's what I'm trying to say is like with most of the movie, it was well done. Um, because, and again, I don't know how much was CG, how much was real, uh, real, but like there's a scene with a sandworm and you, I mean, you see in the trailers, but when you see it, it doesn't look 
fake. It doesn't look like it's not there. You know it's not there, but it doesn't look like it's just like uh, you know a piece of rubber or you know just you know really unshaded cell graphics or a, a <laughs> yeah. You look like the, the actors look like they're out in the desert. They look like they were yeah. out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it looked it looked well done. Um, and I believe they did do some. There was a a country that they thanked for using their desert landscape. So I think there there was a lot of on set filming for that reason. That would make sense. Yeah. Um, but it's like uh, I read here recently um, that the reason the reason that some of the newer movies are doing better with CGI is because they're not using it as extensively as they have been. Um, and in fact, the Shape of Water um, that came out, uh, Gamer- Gamero's De- Del Toro. You can call him GDT if you want. GDT. Uh, <laughs> GDT's movie, Shape of Water. Um, the reason the fish uh, creature looked so good is because they used a lot of practical effects, but then used CGI to help give more character to the eyes. It's It wasn't so much to take away, it was to add on. And that's um and i think that's where people need to understand is like you both when you use it the right way is effective storytelling and visual storytelling so um i wish more filmmakers would do that not just slap cgi into every little thing Mm -hmm, absolutely i would agree um yeah looks good acted well uh the sound design really great yes and you know zimmer just knows how to do it how to just make music drop out for a second and then like bomb it back into existence it's wasn't enough bombs not enough bombs <laughs> where were the bombs uh with hz you know we can't say his name either uh <laughs> <laughs> copyright 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 <laughs> uh no i i think overall it was a really good intro for me into this world it felt real there were parts of it that I really did enjoy. Most of it was just like these throwaway things that I know are just like this was an, this was a part of the book that the writers really liked and wanted to keep. Uh, the thing about the palm trees that the palm trees drink as much as ten men, uh, a ten palm trees a hundred lives. There was, there was something really I know that was a throwaway line, but to me that felt like that was world building right there. That you would waste waste quote unquote water on these trees, and but how they were now worth a hundred people just by that alone but what they took in there was a scene with the hummer trackers the little hummer seekers hummer seekers hunter seekers um where one of them is uh, about to assassinate paul but before this he's been learning about the little creatures that live in the desert of arrakis and he sees this little mouse and as he gets really close to the hologram then he sees the mouse he's like oh cool i didn't notice that there and then the Hummer tracker starts hitting him, and he blends into the holograph, not moving just like the little mouse did. So like there's these little, these little parallels happening back and forth and back and forth as it goes. And again, all these little visual cues and, and dialogue cues. Um, for me, uh, <laughs> JJ had to explain quite a few things just for, because of the visual language of the film. So I think it is time for us to go to the sponsor dome because I really want to get into spoilers, and I really want to get into thoughts on adaptation because very rarely do I come into the book not knowing a dang thing about it so i need i need more i need knowledge knowledge is power uh but we enter into our sponsor dome where two sponsors enter one sponsor leaves aaron who is our main sponsor today so our sponsor this week is uh as always lucky 13 uh tattoo aftercare uh this is tattoo balm that you can get to protect your ink and refresh it and make it look like it did when you first got that uh needle in your arm (laughs) 
Um, that sounds really worse than it is. It really uh, does. Um, <laughs> it's tattoo care to help for, um, make sure that your skin is moisturized and the ink in uh, within it uh, really does shine and have uh, luster to it. So there's a few different um, uh, stuff that you can get from this uh, company. You can get some balm, uh, a balm tube, or a cleanser and healing ointment, or there is even a, uh, a pack that you can get if you really just want to um, make sure that your ink is just shining. So I personally have gotten the tattoo balm tube. Um, it's nice because it's kind of like a chapstick deodorant kind of thing. You just rub it on, uh, let it sit for a second, then rub it in, and you're good to go. Um, so if you go to uh, protectyourink.com uh, and uh, put in the promo code married to the idea. Uh, you'll get 25% off the whole site. So if you want to get yourself a tattoo balm or um, or the, the tube, or if you want to get the pack because you've got a, a lot of ink on your body, that is the place to go. That, again, is protectyourink.com with the uh, offer code married to the idea, and that's T-O, the idea. Are you going to keep going or what? <laughs> Certainly, I can always help us out with this. Uh, for our challenger today, uh, we thought that instead of finding just one thing that we could all agree upon, because we're already doing an episode about a thing we all agree upon, <laughs> instead, uh, we could talk about uh, our favorite video games. This is not going to be something that I was going to bring up, because I've been enjoying one video game very much so, and I thought that was just me, but apparently we're all enjoying really good video games right now. Uh, so, Aaron, would you like to start us off, or would you like JJ, our guest, to start us off? Uh, why don't we let JJ talk for a minute? Um, and it's not our favorite ones. It's ones that we are have been enjoying a lot recently. Fair enough. All right. So, JJ, what video game have you been enjoying recently? I've been enjoying uh, Mass Effect Legendary Edition. Um, the just, I mean, just, it, it's been a little bit out, but they released all of the Mass Effects in one giant big kit and caboodle that's been updated graphics-wise. And I know this was a huge series of video games back when it first came out. That took a little bit of a hit because the ending of the third one was not great. But I am here to tell everyone that uh, if you had, haven't played it since or have been thinking about playing it because it was a huge phenomenon before, that's absolutely worth checking out because they've shored up a lot of the ending problems since then with DLC. And they, even though there's maybe a few complaints you could still have about it, the ride and journey of it is 150,000% worth it regardless of whether you like the ending or not. And you can play the whole thing. With just like one download and like go from start to finish, which is the only way to actually play Mass Effect, and it's been a phenomenal ride. Uh, what does your shepherd look and sound like? Um, he it's a male shepherd, um, and he l looks a little weird. He he like as all good Bioware characters do. Exactly, he looks great on the front, and then when you turn him to the side and you see his profile, he looks a little bit like a chimpanzee. <laughs> And I just ran with it because that's okay. Sometimes your hero of the galaxy looks a little bit like a chimpanzee and that's all right. What a great universe we live in where a chimpanzee can be the hero of our galaxy. That's a wonderful place to be. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've been playing a game that has made me openly weep four times already. And I've been playing it for five hours. It is called Spirit Fairer. It is available on the Switch. And the premise of the game is that you are... Uh, Sharon, you are the ferryman of the dead, ferrying dead creatures through the afterlife to their final resting place. Um, 
it it starts off right out the gate with that. There is no like, mm, what are we doing here? What is the boat about? Like, no, you are death. You you have become death destroyer of worlds. It's your job to get these creatures there. And it really does a good job not only of making me emotionally invested in everything, just because each of these characters that you meet and invite aboard your ship are people who you seem to know from your past life. They seem to know you if you don't seem to know them. Uh, not only that, uh, the mechanics of the game are really fun. Uh, this big open ocean that opens up more and more. The more you explore, the more you gather. Um, all these really cool creatures. Uh, and then, even beyond that one more time, it's 2D animated. So it's gorgeous to look at no matter what. Uh, a friend of mine had recommended that I might enjoy like Farming Sims or Animal Crossing or something like that. And I just couldn't, I actually, no, I'm sorry, I could see the appeal of it and I knew I'd never stop playing it. So I had to pick a game that was like that, but had an end goal in mind. There is a story here, not just accumulate the most bells and get out of debt to your raccoon mob <laughs> boss. Um, the game is great. It's, it's wittily written. I've laughed out loud several times while playing it too. The characters are all great and complex. I have very complex feels about it right now. I'm only, I think, halfway through. I think I, the, the game percentage says I'm 50% through, but I have no idea how that's going down. I'm just working as I can. So I would definitely recommend spirit fair. If you want to have a good emotional game experience. I have um, not been playing a, uh, a game as much as my two uh, co-hosts this episode. Um, it has been more so that I have been playing with some other friends, uh, Jonathan, friend of the podcast, um, and uh, someone who I actually do hope to get on the podcast eventually, um, his sister Megan um, and her uh, her fiance Josh. We will play uh, Destiny 2, which is free on like most platforms right now, um, which also does promote co crossplay um, online, uh, which uh, we do. Uh, John and I both have PlayStations, and uh, Megan and Josh have. Um, Xboxes, and so it's kind of nice because you know we don't have to have the same console to play. Um, and uh, John and I are still fairly new. I want to say we're like level oh, 13, 14 at this point. Um, a little bit storied, but not too not too terribly far into it. But then like Megan is like level like 50 something, and then Josh is in like the 300s. It's ridiculous, and he is. <laughs> He is good. He's like, we'll we'll go through a, a mission or like a, a what's called a uh, not a raid, but something like that, and like we'll do one, and he'll like know where like any of the secret stuff would be. It, like we'll just like walk, and he goes, okay, so there's um there's a group of enemy enemies we're about to come across, but if you can kill them all and then go to the right before we continue on, there's something there, and it's just like astounding. Like he has so much fun stuff. He's a br you, uh, what's cool about this game is you get a um, uh, essentially a mount, but it's a, like a, a, a hover bike, um, and it's called a sparrow, I think. Um, but you can get different skins for it, and he has one that was a broom, like a, <laughs> like a like, witch's broom, like a witch's broom. <laughs> That's very very good. Yeah, they've had some like cool like w there was a Halloween one that we tried to do a little bit. Um, we didn't do it nearly as much because we're all busy in different ways, and I'm hoping to play it again soon, but. I, I've been enjoying it. I'm now part of the clan, um, with, and they're pretty nice. I've not got to play with any of them yet, but it's 
like they're talking about like how this skin is so much better than this skin and like this weapon is better and don't go to this vendor because they only give you shit and it's just <laughs> it's kind of fun because like john and i like we've played um a few games together like rainbow six siege and um the division games so we played a couple of those together and i always enjoy playing with someone when it's certain games like when it's breath of the wild i'm by myself or at least like i'm i'm not playing actively with someone else like liz will watch me play but i i, I like i want to go and explore i just want to go and do things like i want to just like you can't play with people then <laughs> oh the, I, I you get in there and they just are like let's go I'm like no i want to walk around a little bit no we, we explore. have to <laughs> and so like I, I don't like i've done that uh I've got Division 2 right now, and um, I've played that a couple times. But, like, I'll just, like, I'm just going to go walk around. <laughs> Find the deers and the dogs that are randomly in New York City or, no, Washington, D.C. Um, or, like, you know, Spider-Man, where you can just swing around in New York, which is awesome. So, which I've got to finish that soon because the um, next game has been announced. And um, eventually I'm going to get a PlayStation 5, but probably not for another year or so. <laughs> but yeah so destiny 2 uh, my recommendation right now if you're looking for something fun to play that's also free <laughs> all right we are now going to get into adaptation and spoilers be abounding here dun, dun, dun. the desert is full of spoilers <laughs> abandon all ye hope of no spoilers <laughs> thus you enter here i just want a giant worm to jump jump out of the sand with spoilers written across it <laughs> <laughs> All right, so JJ, walk us through it. What what was the biggest? Because you have now seen the movie twice. You're planning right. on seeing it a third time. You're getting all the little mm -hmm. details and subtleties. What is the? We'll start with the the nicest. Like, what about it was like really exciting to you as a fan to see that they adapted so well? Um, I think they got the combat particularly well. Um, that's one thing that. Frank Herbert does a good job of describing how they fight in the book, but it's hard to picture and visualize even when you're reading it. Um, it's seeing it on screen. I think he hundred percent uh, captured well, like what it would look like if you're wearing a shield that would block quick movements. So like what would melee combat look like in the future? If the only way you can stab a guy is if you slowly move a sword to stab someone, but you also have to move it quickly to block their sword from slowly stabbing you. And it was excellent choreography. And it was great to see that in action. Um, on top of that, I would also say that I feel I've seen the, the clip of when the uh, Reverend mother is introduced in the beginning uh, back in the eighties version it was very weird. It didn't, that did not accurately reflect how that was supposed to go. And I think he captured, um, the Benny Gesserit and just their, their strange way of interacting with other people very well. Yeah. I was really intensely terrified of them. Like very intimidated. Just this woman with a box in the middle of the room. Like, okay, where are we going with this? <laughs> uh, that does bring me um, to one of the biggest things. Um, when I watched this movie, I thought there's a lot of really strong female characters here. And knowing that this was a book written not during a time that is 2021, I had the sneaking suspicion that not all of these characters were women originally, nor were they perhaps as free agent-y as they are in the movie. So were any of the characters from this film not women originally? Um, no, actually he, um, he, all the characters that are women, um, that he shows in it were women in the book Except with for one our, exception. Yeah. Um, 
Keen Kinds, um, who is the the transitioner the, person? Yes, the arbiter, the the planetologist. Um, that was a male in the book, and they turned that into a woman, which I think was totally fine because um, the the character. It, it did not matter that they were a man in the book. So it was, it, by all means, add additional female characters in by just turning this character into a woman because it doesn't change a thing. They're still just as important and just as interesting. Excellent. Because uh, I think that was really what interested me because I don't think we get, I mean, we uh, Tolkien, rest in peace, but I don't think he particularly was interested in creating strong female characters. Uh, I think the thing about Herbert that I really liked watching Dune was that he created this this cabal of women, this Bene Gesserit, which seems to be based on many things. It seems to be based kind of like on the Catholic Church and the abbotesses and the nuns who actually had like really important power, just not in title, but in things they actually did and wielded and how the Catholic Church kind of like used its subtle weavings throughout history to, to align and change the course of civilization as it saw fit because of its power. Um, so seeing the Bene Gesserit kind of really made me feel like that. It did make me feel like these women do have power, and it's important that we see the different kind of power that you can exert in this universe. It isn't just brute strength. There's this other, you know, just compelling someone to do what you say because you told them to. Like, there's just something really inherently cool about a woman wielding that power as opposed to a man saying, come here and then kneel and be my slave. It's, it's, it was much more interesting to see, like, what a woman would do with that. Uh, so I really liked the Bene Gesserit in that particular instance. Um, what was it that you didn't like about this adaptation what was the thing that's like ah, they just didn't really capture the complexity i i think the key um th- that can be boiled down is the characterization like the dune the book was extremely character heavy like there was a lot of external events going on obviously there's a lot of politics um and, and there's a lot of grand sweeping things that happen which um was accurately portrayed in the movie but it has a third person omniscient view of the characters in every chapter and it is delving into the thoughts of all the characters in every scene consistently and spends a really long time building them up and making them like extremely multifaceted is um, paul our main character in the book still or paul is the main character in the book um it now to be fair with the events that the first movie went into she wasn't as important she was still a main character jessica Mm -hmm. um but in the second half of the book which theoretically we'll get to when the second movie is made uh, jessica is a very strong like almost secondary main character she's extremely important to the second half of the story um you could easily say almost she's a co-main character to paul interesting i i get that vibe from the end of this um and there are points i think it's very important to note that dune like so much fantasy is based on feudal middle ages dichotomies where there are serfs you can only rise so far in your station certain people get to be royalty certain people do not that is just the nature of the beast in the way that game of thrones is and i will say that this really heavily reminded me of sci-fi game of thrones just no one makes it out of here but by the third death i'm looking at you like is this how it's going to be like yes (laughs) it is they're all (laughs) going to die like oh okay that's what we're doing here <laughs> i was i was not anticipating that that's not normally the content that i seek so that was really like oh that's the kind of film we're watching good good to know good to know <laughs> um i am going to i i know nothing about what's coming in book two neither does aaron you obviously jj you know because you've read the book you know what's going yes, to happen here I'm we see prescient. we see some snippets of it 
in some sort of dream sequences that Paul has about the men fighting as religious zealots in his father's name back on his home planet. So we have some things that are coming. Um, but there's something about this that I'm curious about. Uh, and Aaron, I don't know if this would strike you either, but there's, there's this one thing that I'm really interested about. You have these really powerful women who can choose whether uh, to have male or female kids and that there is this very specific breeding program happening throughout the ages to try and breed this this hero this quasi am i saying that right Kavisach Hadarak. Kavisach Hadarak. not even close <laughs> jesus and, and i mean like you just pull out that nothing you're not like it's uh it's uh it's like as easy as saying water to you you're like I can't pronounce Villeneuve's name, but I can tell you a made-up word really well. Really, really good. Okay, so the chosen one. The chosen one, yeah, okay. This is a bit of a chosen one motif. Chosen one! I'm coming! Chosen one! I'm coming! Sorry. What is that from? We just watched that, um, Kung Pao Into the Fist. Thank you. Okay. It has... Have you seen that? I've JJ? heard of it. I really have been meaning to see it. It is, uh, it's essentially kind of a parody homage movie to all like the classic 60s, 70s Kung Fu, like almost like spaghetti Kung Fu movies. Like the real cheesy, like, I have come from my village. Like with even bad translations. <laughs> like, I've come from my village to stop you from taking over this countryside. Hi you killed my parent. Yeah, lots. It's very funny. Uh, uh, it's very stupid. It is so funny. stupid. It looked it in the trailers, and I loved the idea of it, so I need to see that. <laughs> the guy who made it also made Jimmy Neutron and the Barnyard movie, if that gives you... Oh, he also did the thumb movies where like he remade all the movies, but like with thumbs. Oh, I know what you're talking. I've yeah, seen that. That like, fits. No wonder it's the same person. Yeah, it's 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 a unique um, filmography. I have to say that like I that I remember watching that movie on the band or not on the band bus, but on a trip with my band to DC in uh, in fifth grade, watching that with a bunch of kids. We busted out laughing every single time like ah, ha, 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 it's a cow shooting milk ah, she showed her boobies ah. it was oh my god it was so funny and it, we're like we're already a little tired at this point because i think we've been on the road for like four or five hours and at that point anything is funny it combined with this movie i'm sure yeah. yes and we when liz and i watched it i think we both were a drink or so in so just made it even like better to do it so going back to the original point, yeah, uh, you know, just I'm just talking about you know Jung philosophy and the dichotomy of men and women over here, no biggie. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> These two conversations went hand in hand. <laughs> <laughs> Boobies. <laughs> <sighs> Literature. Uh, so we have these this race of powerful women who are uh, hoping to breed a male chosen one that can bridge the gap between space and time and all this and all that without spoiling it is there a reason beyond that made sense to the writer at the time that it's a male leader that these race of powerful women are trying to breed i don't know there's something a little weird about like it i is, don't know <laughs> I, I think that is easily the most criticizable from a feminist perspective aspect of the book is that no like there's it Without getting into too many spoilers, by by the end, it makes it so the idea that Paul Atreides is the chosen one is not necessarily a good thing. 
So there is that aspect to it. So it, it's not necessarily coming in and saying, ah, they found a man and the man who's the chosen one and the, and the, and everything was great after a man took over everything. Yeah. Okay, good. Because I got such, because the way the movie ends right where it does, I got real hard last samurai vibes off the whole thing. Like this white boy comes in into this indigenous population and just suddenly wows them with his one move. And he's like, oh, well, okay, you can join our club. <laughs> now you're so great you're so with good the fact that you're a guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to run the idea by you guys. Um, especially JJ, who has read the book, uh, but Liz, who would appreciate that. What if the whole point, and I don't think this, the, and with what you just said, JJ, I don't think that this would be the case, but what if the whole point of the story is, is that, like, the Bene Jesuit, like, are, like, it ha- it's, like, we're trying to make the one, we're trying to make the one, and then, like, um, because we are in spoiler territory, right, um, Lady Jessica is actually pregnant with another child um, who from what I know about the story ends up being a female child. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, what if it was funny that like she does accidentally make the one because like there, like there's, there's some things that they say in the movie that like really apply to Paul and Jessica specifically. Um, like, Oh, it, like, and he will know blah and he'll do this and like, or and the mother and the son will blah. And what if, it, like they see, they think it's a male, but like there's a small translation error or something like that in the prophecy. Because <laughs> there's always a fucking prophecy, uh, but there's a, there's like a small error, and it's actually the daughter of blah. Like you know how like Ermana and Ermano is one letter separate, yeah. something like that. Oh, oops, oh, we meant to write that oh, a little differently. Oh, it's just a bit of paint on this on the prophecy. Let me wipe that off here. <laughs> Cancel the second. Oh, dang. <laughs> but like, I, I, it'd be hilarious. Like, I think that's more of a more modern kind of twist, where it's like they think it's one thing, but in reality, it's a completely separate thing. You're a little bit more on the nose than you probably know. <gasps> what? <laughs> you heard it first here, folks. <laughs> Subscribe to that YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> Theory confirmed. <laughs> For a forty-year-old book. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> that would be hilarious. If I just predicted it. Just from hearing my uh, my feminist wife and uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's you know what that's really cool. Uh, if, even if it doesn't go that way, um, I was actually reading up on feminist theory, looking at Dune, uh, just how they would compare because the three main the three main female characters are well established and have agency, but there's only three of them in comparison to the billions of other guys who are just well, I mean they're guys because that's. Guy is a stereotypical, and then if we deviate from that, then they have to be explained further. They can't just anyway. If, that's if my own little rant if, for if other you, things. If but. you look at it too, like there's, so you've got the three main female characters of Chani, um, Lady Jessica, and what would you actually say is the third main f- female character, hun? Oh well, the the main the mother the Jenna Bezowit mother. See, I wouldn't consider a main character. She but apparently I con- is more as one of the main. Ruler, she's kind of like an Oscar Isaac situation. She is an okay. important figure in that particular regard. Okay, so sure. in this adaptation of the story, I would put her we as like a, her a main secondary. Exactly. But like, if you look at it too, you still have like you have the two of them. You have the mother, the Reverend Mother, or whatever. You have the Doctor who helps them, and then there is, I think, w- at least one of the. F- you know what? I've got the IMDb page right here. There's a couple. Um, I would say yeah. There are. Oh, the the the. Housekeeper? The, yeah, the housekeeper. That was going to say. Shut out mapes. 
Yeah. Um, but I'm not making fun of these names. No, I it's, literally it's honestly, when it's not your fandom, like it just sounds like so much gibberish. It's yeah. a lot in, of gibberish. In a way that when it's your fandom, like, well, duh, it's this, obviously. <laughs> I mean, care about this. You mean you don't fall asleep thinking the name Shamal? You know, like... <laughs> Uh, that's unbelievable how dare you, <laughs> how dare you? uh yeah but it's just like there it is very male casted unfortunately yeah. i don't I, honestly it's because men are considered like default like if a character is a woman there has to be a reason why so often and i think that the more that we just let characters like be characters the more that we go out at our own experiences and start thinking about these things before we write them or or draw them, suddenly we start to see a lot more people in the conversation just through active. I mean, I, I think a lot of people, uh, especially with the movie Aaron we just watched, a lot of oh. people complain about woke culture and like they're trying to tick all the boxes. Personally, I think the reason why it feels that way is because we've never had to encounter the fact that there are people that aren't white men that exist. <laughs> and yeah, then we have right. to like fill in the gaps quick before <laughs> anyone notices. Like, and, and there's some <laughs> psychology behind that too. But in reality, it's, it's, it's just the white male problem anyways, but we just need to get over it. But the, the yes, I was actually going to bring that up too. Uh, we just watched the Eternals and I'm, we're, that's all we're going to say. Uh, if we want to do an episode, we might do an episode. I don't think we will. Um, but the, there are, at least three characters that were changed to female. I don't think it changed much. Exactly. Um, ex- not sense. having much experience most characters, with the, exter- the Eternals. Most characters don't have any like gender or sexuality themes that are addressed within the context of their stories, so it doesn't matter. So that's why I think that's what matters to yeah. me. It's like there are certain characters whom their race or their sexuality is inherent to it, like Black Panther, like yeah. Duh, he has to, like, come right. on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's not because of the name. It's literally because of what the character... The history of the yeah. character. Right. And, yeah. and there are certain characters that it, it does make sense. I mean, like, Captain Britain can't be an American dude. Right. I mean, it, that's just... <laughs> literally, <laughs> you can't do that. Uh, uh, JJ, does the movie... Sorry, not the movie, because we watched the movie. Does the book have anything to say about race? Because I did get very heavy, like, Far Eastern culture meets Western culture. Or these... even uh, colonists and uh, Yeah, Native colonialism. Right. Did, mm-hmm. Oh, the there... natives. We don't work with them. Mm-hmm. But exactly. if you did. And like the fact that they have these, these costumes that look to us like insults, but are actually like gestures of respect. The spitting is yeah, probably my was, favorite part of that. That was, yeah, that was like, funny. It was like, good. I thought that was great. <laughs> did, does Herbert ever come into contact with any of those thoughts, or is it just not prevalent within the original text? Um, He, it's kind of, it's weird in the fact that he kind of just doesn't, he addresses it, but he also doesn't address it. So like he, he designed this entire culture for the Fremen. Um, and he makes it very clear that the Fremen are, are like, uh, very different than these houses coming in, like who have all this money and are used to living on other worlds. And like, they don't have to deal with this entire culture based around how scarce water is and all of this. Um, and, and he and he gets into the differences of like, oh, well, you know, this culture is not your culture. So like if you're coming to live with us in the Fremen, you're going to have to learn our ways and how we do things. And it's very different than your ways. And he doesn't do anything that says these ways are bad. Um, in a real in a weird way, he kind of just kind of sidesteps the whole thing. Like he he never really gets into a very direct conversation on colonialism as a whole. So that really isn't a theme that these people are coming into a plant that isn't their own and taking its natural resources that's just not a topic that's worthwhile it's like of course they do that that's just what they do well i'm, I'm trying to i'm trying to put it in i'm a sorry to like really put you on the spot no I no you're good bad. no um, it's actually, no, actually 
it's um the I'll basically just uh, to get into the story thread of it, like what one of the story threads, which I don't know if the movie is going to get into because it didn't set up on any of the information that the book did at this point. Um, but one of the things that the book does is when they talk to um, Keynes, uh, the, the arbiter, he talks about how way back before um, when people were first exploring Arrakis, um, they were planning on turning into an Eden world because they had the technology to do that. Like they can come into a barren world. They did plant. say that. Yeah. They said they, they go into the underground bunker in the movie and they say, we came here and we realized we had the technology to right, they did. totally terraform mm-hmm. this entire world. But then we realized that the spice was here and it was better to just not help this world at all, just to continue harvesting this, this byproduct. This natural resource. Yeah, does he talk about does he talk about environmentalism at all in the book? I'm sorry, I'm hitting you with all no, these no, things. No, no, you're good. And and I'm not surprised because to me it seems like it's a naturally occurring thing, and it's not a byproduct or something like it's not like crude oil where we have to do something yeah. to it to get to it. It's literally like going out and harvesting grass. Yeah, it mm-hmm. happens naturally, Sweet. happens yes. abundantly. It's like. Yeah, I, like the, the the perils of it are it's giant dangerous fucking to get. Yeah. eating monsters, you know, ass blasters from uh, friggin' uh, or not ass blasters, but uh, tremors and stuff like that. It, it, I can see like there could be an environmental message, but I think he also was like, no, no, it just naturally occurs. It it just happens because the sand and the the, the radiation from the sun and I mean, shit. That's just how it is. It, it's a weird like. Like it, both those questions you just asked kind of go hand in hand because like you're correct now that you're, I remember that it's just he had more lead-ins in the book talking about the fact that they didn't turn it into an Eden world so they can harvest the spice, and then Keynes has a big conversations on like, and if y'all didn't need spice so much, we can still turn this into an Eden world so we don't have to like live in a scarce water environment you know wouldn't that be great um and so in that way it gets into a conversation on colonialism on like. You guys are coming here and harvesting all the spice without thinking about the fact that you could just let us not have to live desperately for water all the time. But then it doesn't get into the colonial conversation that it seems DV kind of wants to set up with the movie in which he has Stilgar march in on Leto and say, oh, you outworldish are just here to like disrupt everything and like cause trouble as you always do. Whereas in the book, Stilgar kind of marches in and doesn't say anything like that. He's like, okay, listen, I know you're here for the spice. All you guys care about is the spice, whatever spice is plentiful. Spice is all over the place. Just leave us alone. Like we don't care if you take spice because the spice does naturally occur because the sandworms are just natural to that world. Just could you not like mess with us and like cause us problems? So it's weird in that, like, it doesn't, it, it's like the environmental message and the colonial message are all tied into one, and it's not a traditional view of colonialism at all, if that makes any sense. Yeah. And it seems DV is w- looking in the line changes that he made. They weren't huge, but they were there, and they were maybe a little subtle in comparison. But he looks like he wants, like, because he opened up with the movie talking about the Fremen um, discussing how the Harkonnen were... Uh, constantly messing with them and like they had to do constant raids about that the book doesn't open up with that the book doesn't like it seems to suggest the harkonnen were out here like being like oh there's these dumb fremen natives who don't understand anything like we're just here for the spice and then the the respect comes in because the atreides come in and are like no there's fremen out there and these guys are awesome and we can use them an ally with them um but dv looks like he wants to go into a traditional colonial conversation with it maybe it looks like that's what he wants to do i don't know he didn't really cash in on any of those threads that he established 
so basically, say there's not a, a simple answer to that question because <laughs> I had to talk for about 50 million hours. But <laughs> it, it, and it, maybe he's not addressing it in this the, the first part because there, right. there is going to be a second part mm-hmm. um, already confirmed, already greenlit, everything like that. So. Um, and, and maybe October it's 2023 when we'll have you back again. <laughs> that sounds good to me. It's season seven. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So old. Don't even think that far ahead. Um, <laughs> I mean, we've been doing this for well over 100 episodes, so uh, that's scary enough as it is. But yeah, I can see that thought process. Like, in in sometimes too, like there there are setups for deeper storylines in in movies, TV shows, and stuff like that that people don't necessarily explore the first time. But you know, someone is like, well, what if we adjusted it slightly this way, and the story can still work, but we can take a, a slightly different approach to it, right? And I think that's what the better adaptations or the better readaptations of things do. Like, um. I, I, I hate to say it, I always bring this movie up, but Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, you know, they they looked at the Spider-Man mythos and, like, having this power, having this responsibility and what to do with it. And, like, it wasn't so much like, oh, it's just a retelling of the Ben Parker or, yeah, the Ben Ben and uh, Peter relationship and having to deal with that. It was an like entirely different relationship between the two and, like, you know, uh, Miles still had his his parents, but he had this cool, fun uncle that he really respected and enjoyed spending time with. Who like who not only like allowed him to spend time with him, but he was also very encouraging and you know loving of this uh, this character. And I'm really hoping now you've seen this movie as I'm saying this. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Okay. I have. Um, yeah. But like, if you look at the original stuff, you can even look at the the uh, the first two Spider-Man movies. Or rather, the the first two of the two different Spider-Man stories, uh, the Sam Raimi stuff and then the Andrew Garfield stuff, you've got you get the same story twice, though they're told slightly different. But this one is is taking that kind of story, but looking at it from a completely different point of view. I think good literature does leave the door open for discussion. I think the fact that we that I looked at this movie and said, so what are the themes at, pre- at play here, and right. what are we going to talk about? It kind of feels like. You could take this and take it in many different ways based on the decade in which you make it. I'm quite curious if the Sting one had thought anything of any of that and instead was just like, big battles, sandworms, spices, drugs, man. The spice is live. <laughs> um, I don't think they did because um, I was looking at the, uh, the cast list and it is... Um, Let's just say super white. Yeah, I, I can't. I can't begin to imagine why, Aaron. Uh, Maybe yeah. there were only white people back in the seventies. Who's to yeah, say? Yeah, because like Brad Dourif plays a character. Like I'm looking through this, I don't see a single person of uh, minority at all. Uh, and uh, Patrick Stewart's in it, which is cool. But oh no, one person, and he's an emperor named uh, Padishah Emperor Shaddam. Uh, the well, fourth, like the emperor, probably. Yeah, the the emperor of the known universe, the big emperor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's a very um, well, that was Egyptian I, sounding name. I was looking at Herbert, uh, looking at why he wrote uh, when he wrote this, and he was looking at yogic influences, and um, th- there were there were many influences t- he took from Eastern culture and yes. wove mm. into Dune. And I think that's why it's kind of like universally applicable because it's two different parts coming together into this new mashup. Yeah, kind of like Avatar. There's a lot of different influences, very Eastern philosophy influences, but there's still some other kind of Western or um, you know European mindsets in there as well. So I'd agree. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think, and I'm, I am looking forward to the second part to see, especially now since I predicted the the big twist <laughs> or whatever. Um, I'm as always with these big stories. I'm curious about what the movie will eventually say about the nature of power because I think that Game of Thrones really fucked it up when it comes oh, to what yeah. power does to a person. I I don't think it has anything important of value to say in the end. So I'm curious no. to see what Dune decides to say on the nature of power because it seems to be. This, I mean, that's what these big epic stories are, is the struggle of this flow of power and how it affects the people who use it and wield it. So I'm curious to see where that goes. Yeah. I can say from a hyper perspective that the ending for the book is one of my favorite parts of the book. Like the book was had a lot was very complex, had a lot of different things going on, but I think what elevated it was how it ended it because it was not exactly what I expected. Um, and it was, it just really capped everything off in a way that I think said a lot about power and a lot about everything that led up to that point. Um, just really, really good. Very phenomenal. Very like you close the book and you just have to think for like a solid five minutes being like, Oh, uh, okay. All right. I can see that. And then, yeah, it's really, really good. Like the end of Ender's game. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Which I, it's, it's a great twist, but once you hear it, it just kind of, I don't know. It, it, it kind of sullies the, the rest of the story so, for me. So, guys, no spoilers for the next two years until the next movie comes out, okay? <laughs> so um, <laughs> We couldn't possibly figure out what happens beforehand with any other literature that already exists in the world. Of course not. No. Uh, but uh, it's funny because um, you, you mentioned the book just a second ago. Um, friend of the podcast, Jonathan, said he's tried to read Dune a couple of times, and he just he, either he has finally made it all the way through, but he says it's so hard because like the first half of the book is all about like the history. It is, gosh, it's it lays it on thick and heavy from the start, and I I think it's readable because it also delves into characterization while it's also laying on the thickness of this universe, but like it's not it's not easy quick reading in the it, first couple of chapters it, it sounds like to me um uh liz uh liz is catholic and there's there every so often there's a homily where all they do is they go through lineages like they'll say uh blah the son of law the daughter of law the son of law the bl- son of law the daughter of law and it's like it just starts with one person and goes we back do that. to their family tree we do that at christmas midnight mass because it shows the lineage of jesus uh, so that's why we do it then but mr I get man that. Does it, that's does it a lot like more? giving someone a bible for the first time and saying that would here not be read the numbers oh, yeah, to, I to start with numbers i wouldn't say that would be the passage or book to start with absolutely not there are many better books but yeah it's it's uh that just reminds me it's just like because there's been a couple of times because it's like that and like the uh the bishop's appeal or whatever are usually the more boring because or no no not the bishop's appeal no it's the the like they have a they actually will have every so often a financial homily or like financial part of the talk and it's just like here's where your money goes each year uh, they give the reports and then they say well we have to also talk about the reports even though you're all adults and can read but that is neither here nor there that's nothing to do with doom well uh, I, I will i can tie that right into dune oh if you would gosh. like um so one thing they didn't go over in the movie that's in the book is that the um the orange catholic bible is in the book and it is an actual religious text that, like, is part of a religion that they have in the future. They still believe in Jesus in the future? It doesn't talk in depth about what it is. Like, it never, doesn't ever refer to any of the basic tenets of Christianity, which I think was purposely done, because I think Frank Herbert was like, I like the idea of using Catholic influences, which is, I thought was really clever when you mentioned the their Catholic Gesserit. stuff with the Bene Gesserit, because I think that was absolutely what he wanted to do, was evoke that. But also, he didn't want to be like, uh, and Christianity is in my book. So 
So like he he like really <laughs> sidestepped what exactly it is they believe, but he does have them like quote passages from this future religious text that's called that the OC Bible. OC OC. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's brilliant. The OC Bible. <laughs> so good. That's hilarious. Okay, so we were going. Oh. We had one last question before we ended the the, the podcast um, for today. Um, if there was a Dune video game, what would we want to see or how would we expect it to run? Okay. So, so Liz, why yeah. don't you go first? There's many different kinds of video games. You've got your RPGs, you've got your sandboxes, you've got your puzzle games. Um, if I were to create a Dune video game... I kind of feel like it would have to be an RPG just because of the different factions. Uh, I'm really basing it kind of heavily on the board game now that I know that is a thing. Like, oh, I see. That would make a very good video game. It would. Um, I'm imagining that it would be a lot of text-based queries, a lot of negotiation and skill checks on how to talk with other people to make sure that you like make the best decision possible. But also just a bit of Elder Scrolls in there because you have a voice that you can just use to make people do whatever you want. But you have to do the voice just right, otherwise it doesn't work out for you. Um, I, I am imagining a, a very Elder Scrollsian sort of things where, uh, or Breath of the Wild, where every once in a while you run into a sandworm and you have to walk very carefully and purposely away from it or you have to fight it. Uh, so if it was a video game, I would say Breath of the Wild, but make it all Gerudo. <laughs> I would like uh I would like to see that in like a Nintendo motion Wii sort of way. Like you have to speak into it to use the voice and you have to like step specifically kind of like what they yes. do with that. What is it in that Nintendo exercise game? So like a VR game you're thinking. Yeah, I'm like, you can really uh, dig into that. Oh, they, oh there's a specific category. Cause you it's bring like your that. cat's litter box out to get like a real sand-stepping immersion. <laughs> uh, like the Hey You Pikachus and stuff like that. There's like live interactive game or something like that there's 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 a um a term for it that i'm forgetting but uh yeah i i would i'm because there was actually a doom video game we kind of skipped over that part um but it was a real-time strategy because i didn't even think you mentioned this yeah uh, mm -hmm. real-time strategy game uh precursor to uh, no one's gonna know what this is unless they're really into real-time strategy games for precursor to command and conquer um yeah okay yeah i am not an rts fan in the slightest i, I can't stand like i i I uh, I played that video game um, Brutal Legend with Jack Black. Ooh, that's a throwback. That's a good uh, one. God, throwback that came out while I was in college. Um, I guess it would have for me too. But anyway, uh, anyways, <laughs> I, I remember like I loved the visual aesthetics and everything like that, and it was like a cool kind of like hack and slash beat 'em up, and then it became an RTS, and I'm just like, why did you do this to us? Because like I literally I watched someone start the game I, w I happened to be out and about and a friend of mine was like hanging out with some other friends they're like hey we're playing a video game if you want to watch i'm like yeah and I, was, I, I had just gotten some dinner so i was like had a drink so i was kind of finishing up the drink and they're like man they started playing i'm like man i gotta i gotta go i gotta get this and play and play this um and i and i did soon after and i guess what happens is the guy stopped about right after the first level or i stopped watching after the first level and it's like after the third level or the third part of the story when you become rts and it's yep. and it does not get any better from there i've heard it the story is still good but the, it's still if you if you like rts's you're fine but i i couldn't stand that so no i get but that. i but i have heard of command and conquer because i know there's like like mark hamill was in one of the video games uh what's the face um 
Frankenfurter from Rocky Horror was in an episode or in, in a game too. I think I, I've changed my mind. I want the game to be where you start off picking your faction, and then the entire gameplay changes wildly based on what you pick. That if you're a Bene Gesserit, it's all stealth game the entire Man. way. Um, if you pick that House H, it's all hack and slashing. Um, if, if if you're a Trades, it's, it's like all RTS. diplomacy he, and real time strategy stuff. If you pick the yeah, uh, Fremen, like the, the, the 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 conversation tree, the text trees and stuff like that. If you pick Fremen, you just get to ride sandworms all day, man. It's a chill surfer bro kind of life. <laughs> that would be great. I could see that. Just like make it the board game, just in a video game form, yes. like the completely asymmetrical gameplay. Um, I, if, if it were up to me, I think a resource management game, um, similar to like your, the, the, the Spearfarer or the Animal Crossings, that kind of, uh, Stardew Valley, like you have to kind of place certain things at certain times. You have to make sure that the, like where you do kind of help out the freemen and stuff like that. But then you, um, the, I think the more active part of the game would be, um the the diplomacy behind it so you're still incorporating the story but there's still a, le a level or two deeper um like with spirit fairy like how you've got like the the story but then you're also growing you know shit on your boat so something maybe along i just those learned lines. how to make olive oil i'm very excited Ooh. <laughs> um <laughs> But there's there's some uh, and like I'm looking at the RTSs and this definitely looks like Command and Conquer like if oh, it's, yeah. it's probably po possibly programmed. Um, oh, it should just be a visual until you novel. Pull just, up FMVs. It should be a visual novel. Yeah. Just who are you going to romance this run? Are you going to romance the <laughs> Bene Gesserit? Are you going to romance the Emperor? Who are you going to you going to fall in a love with? Dating sim based on the Dune universe. What, or even still, what if you were like a, a character in like in the same vein as yours? Is like where you picked one of the the different factions or houses. And you pick a character, and you go into that house, and then your story is told through that. You're not Paul. You're not. Oh, I don't think. Right. Yeah, I don't yeah. think. I think no. most good video games mm. that are adaptations of the work are like like Shadow of Mordor. You're not Frodo or Aragorn. You're some other completely dude. Different completely different. Completely different. Yeah. <laughs> really, this would have been ripe for a Telltale game. Like, yeah, hundred yeah. percent would have been a great Telltale game. Um, and so uh, I'll kind of end this with the understanding that apparently there is a video game in the works. Nice, as there should be. They've that got makes sense. two years to make it. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, so maybe you know we'll, we'll, it'll come. To, we'll see if it comes to pass that you know one of us is actually correct in uh, <laughs> how we predict the gameplay is going to go. But like I, you know, I, I'm a sucker for open world stuff, and this feels like something you do open world. But you would, I think, you would have to be a Freeman if it was open world. Oh yeah, I, I couldn't imagine either way. Surprise is actually a mobile game. Um, well. <laughs> <laughs> It's oh, just a puzzler. Uh, uh, it's, yeah. it's a Pokemon Go. Uh, um, oh, my God. Collect the sandworms. Find the spice out in the real world. Oh, my oh. God. <laughs> you have to find spice out in the real world. You collect it, but then you have to avoid the sandworms. Or Accurate. You have to, like, call them specifically. you got to walk funny. you got to yeah. watch how you walk. and like, that, that'll oh avoid the God. sandworm. <laughs> it comes up right behind you out of the sidewalk. When you get in your car, it just shows you in an ornithopter going through. <laughs> Instead of like when you're in Pokemon, you're just like awkwardly running. Well, uh, JJ, thank you so much for joining us. You're it, very welcome. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure having you. Um, thank you for letting us berate you with thousands of questions on the minutia of a book. That's my favorite way to spend my free time. So anytime. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, we will probably have another episode in November. Um, it may be releasing or like we were trying to record one 
it may release near December, but we're looking at doing a couple episodes for Christmas. So um, I know I have one specific one specific movie in mind right now. Um, JJ, what's your favorite Christmas movie? Yeah. Uh, it's hey, what's your favorite soup? <laughs> That's uh, something that Liz asks on the, the live show that we do. Like someone will join, it's like, hi, thank you for joining. What's your favorite soup? Uh, what's the spicy soup at Olive Garden? Um, oh, the Zupa? The Zupa Toscana, yeah. Where it has like the sausage yes, and the kit. That's my oh favorite my soup. God. Absolutely. JJ, we, we might just have to go to the OG one time. Like we just oh, might yeah. like. You can't bring me. Uh, when Aaron and I go to the OG, we inevitably have a fight. Oh, it's no, no, the OG no. Curse. <laughs> We've broken that curse because we went to the OG recently and we did not have a fight. That's true. It was our second go. We were trying to go to Carabas and it failed, and so we had to go to Olive Garden. We were already too sad to fight. Did you, I mean, if you get the unlimited soup and breadsticks, can you have a fight? Like, is that physically Apparently possible? Apparently so. We're very oh, good. It, doesn't, it, doesn't, it didn't matter what we ordered. <laughs> it wasn't that we were fighting over the meal. It's just we were fighting, and then we were trying to eat at the same time. Oh, like, but how good would it be if we were I fighting over the I can't believe you said it. Anyway. You're just like your mother. <laughs> we said no food noises on the podcast. We said this explicitly at the start. <laughs> I is I agree to nothing. <laughs> so uh, we're uh, sorry, JJ. Thing again, so much for coming. Uh, look forward to our next episode, uh, which uh, I think we're going to have another guest actually for yeah. that one. So, Ooh, uh, but oh well, no, we didn't actually. You didn't answer the question because we were talking about food, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> Also, uh, the Zupa is fantastic. My favorite soup is something I make with my dad. And uh, since you're a fan of the Zupa, I might have you try the that the soup because it's like this cheesy Mexican soup. It's so mm. good. Like last year, we made um, a stock pot of it. You know, like big twelve quart stock pot. We're probably making two stock pots because I'm trying to take an entire stock pot home. I'm intrigued. Yeah. I'll absolutely give that a taste test. It is it is so good. I cannot wait to make it. We were we were trying to do it this weekend didn't work. It's not going to work next week either. So I'm really excited for it. <laughs> Anyways, what is your favorite Christmas movie? Favorite Christmas movie cliché answer, but uh, it's a wonderful life. Like I uh, watch it's a wonderful life consistently and it never gets old. Do you prefer the colorized or the black and white? Uh you know I switch between them. Oh. Like I, I I appreciate both. You know, the black and white is the classic original, but I don't think the colorized version did a bad job no. of colorizing it at all. The one I watched was very like flat colors on them, so they it like looked like a bad Photoshop job at one point. But I've seen a better colorized version before after that. Yeah, I don't think I saw that one. Don't watch that. One. Yeah, it was <laughs> it, it was probably just an old VHS copy too at that time. But um, if uh, and especially if you're in our area of our neck of the woods in East Tennessee. Um, the Tennessee theater every so often will show one of the versions of It's a Wonderful Life. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's well worth seeing in theaters. It's kind of exciting. Yeah. It reminded me a little bit. It was not the exact same experience, but we watched similarly in the Tennessee theater, uh, the Monty Python and the Holy Grail. And there's oh, points. Cool. There was points you couldn't hear the theater or you couldn't hear the, the, the dialogue because people were coding it so loud. <laughs> That sounds like a good experience. It, That's it, nice. It was a good time. It was like going to like a live riffing of something. It was, <laughs> it was a good time. Um, so, uh, Liz, you got anything else? No, I'm just getting really angry about news. So it's probably time to wrap up. It probably is. So, again, JJ, thank you. Do you have anything you want to plug? You don't have to if you don't want to. Ooh, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Uh, I would like to plug life. Life is great. Um, <laughs> if you cereal. haven't tried it yet, you really should. It's <laughs> I give it a 10 out of 10. <laughs> would recommend. <laughs> 
Awesome. Well, thank you again so much for joining us. Uh, I'd love to have you back on uh, soon. All right. Awesome. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, we'll have to just find something that we, <laughs> we know you like because we knew you liked Zune. So Again, we're like, oh, we got to do this. Two years from now, <laughs> Dune Part Two. That's All what right, we're doing. So go and pencil that I'm in your going book. in hibernation, and then I will not be speaking of anything media wise until Dune the sequel comes out. <laughs> That's the plan. On a hiatus, everybody. <laughs> we we made him go into hiatus, or we were the reason he went into hiatus. So. I do it for y'all. <laughs> Got to do it all for the Nookie, so. And I do it for Elizabeth. I do it for Aaron. And we're we're married married to to the idea. idea.